Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. Good morning. Kind of always have to do that twice just to get you awake. Um, but it's good to be here. Uh, I feel like our internationals are becoming more and more Portuguese or Brazilian as we come later and later every Sunday. <laughs> but I encourage you really to, to try to come. Come for breakfast. Come and spend time with us before, before the service so that we can spend time together and then start and, and worship God. Some people think that the worship... Sometimes that first song is just to get you going, and it's just to get you in the mood, but that's not what worship is. Worship is to give God our best. Worship is to give God the praise that he is worthy of. And so I encourage you to come and, and start on time with, with the worship team as we give God all that he is due. Um, but how many of you last weekend went to the Global Leadership Summit? Okay, a few of us went to the Global Leadership Summit. Now the GLS is an incredible conference about leadership, it's kind of in the name, but it's an incredible conference where men and women give really great tips and advice and, and talks about how to be a leader, how to lead teams, how to lead other people. And you have people in business, people from Google and Facebook and Apple giving their take on what it is to be a leader. You have people from organizations that are battling all sort of social injustices telling their advice of what it is to be a leader. You have pastors that lead churches and have been in ministry for many years giving their advice on what it is to be a leader. And it's interesting, at the GLS, everyone is considered to be a leader. Everyone is considered to be a, a leader because it is understood that everyone has influence. And that's really where I want to begin today. Everyone has influence. Have you thought about that? That you have influence. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you're talking to, your behavior has an impact on the way that other people lead. Your influence is not something that you can switch on and off. It's not like today I'm going to leave the house and I don't want to have influence today, so I'm going to switch it off. No, you leave the house, you wake up in the morning, what you do has influence on those around you. It's a constant thing. And recently I saw on Facebook a friend of mine, he, he usually has quite controversial posts, but he, he put this post on Facebook criticizing, and I quote, Christian's obsession with the topic of leadership. And he was just angry about why are Christians always talking about leadership, leadership, leadership. And as I thought about it, I'll admit that I am extremely dedicated to the topic of leadership. Why? Because we've established that we all have influence. It's a power that we all have. We all have this responsibility that we must acknowledge and embrace. The question is, how will you use your influence? And as a Christian, we cannot ignore this question. Because as Christians, the way that we lead, in other words, the way that we serve others, has a direct impact on the way that the world sees Jesus himself. How many of you have known people that have said, I don't want anything to do with God? And it's not necessarily because they don't believe that God might exist. It's because they don't believe in the people that represent him. 
As followers of Christ, our behavior and the way that we choose to use our influence, it doesn't change the nature of Jesus, but it can absolutely change the way that others relate to Jesus. And so Christian godly leadership, it isn't about applause, it isn't about popularity, it's not about status, it's about pointing people to Jesus. It's not about drawing others to us, it's about drawing others to Christ in us. We are called to use our influence that others might see Christ, that others might relate to Christ. And I love John the Baptist, he said something that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Now John the Baptist was a little nuts. He was a little crazy. But the truth is that he was a leader. People would go to him. People wanted to be baptized by him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And one day, John the Baptist is confronted with the motive of his leadership. People come up to him and they say, hey, have you seen this other guy? He's also baptizing people. He's getting followers too. And so he's confronted with this issue of comparison and popularity and the motive, the reason, the motivation in his heart for leading. And John the Baptist quite clearly tells them, The whole point of my leadership, the whole point of everything I do is to point people to Jesus. He is the reason that I'm here. And he says in John 3, verse 30, he says, he must become greater and I must become less. This is the motto that every leader should carry in their hearts, that I must become less as Christ becomes greater in me. And so if we establish that your influence is not something that you can turn on and turn off, And that because of that, you are a leader, you are called to be a leader that represents Jesus himself, then what does that leader look like and what does that impact look like? And so this morning, we're going to read a story in the Bible that shows us the kind of leadership that God is looking for, a leadership that is called to interruption, a leadership that is called to relationship, and a leadership that is called to transformation. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 3. If not, you can just look at the screen. And I'm going to ask Doris, would you come and read this, please? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the context of this story 
We just read in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 1, it begins with a context. Basically, Jesus had died and he'd resurrected. He was raised from the dead and he appears to his disciples for 40 days. Now, one can only imagine. I wish that the Bible described more of the kinds of conversations they were having. I can only imagine the thoughts and emotions that were going through the disciples' hearts and minds as they commune with Jesus. This Jesus that was dead and now he is alive. I can only imagine But one day Jesus tells them, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus gives the disciples a purpose. He gives them a reason to live. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Not only are you going to go and talk about me and talk about everything that you've seen, but you're going to go and you're going to represent who I am. You're going to be representatives of my love and all that I have for you. And so chapter 2 comes around, and they're waiting for this promise that Jesus had made that the Holy Spirit would come. And chapter 2 of Acts opens with the Holy Spirit coming. It's the day of Pentecost. It's an incredible moment where there's tongues of fire, and they start speaking all sorts of languages. The Bible says that Jews coming from all over the place could hear the disciples speak in their own language. What a miracle. What an incredible, powerful moment as the Holy Spirit is active in the disciples' The Bible says that that day alone, 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000 people converted and chose to make Jesus their king. What an incredible moment. Imagine the Monday after that Sunday. What a weekend. And then chapter 3 opens with a very boring scenario. So you've just had Jesus raising from the dead. You've just had the Holy Spirit coming and anointing the disciples, an incredible, powerful moment. And then chapter 3 opens with routine, with something so boring as going to the temple for prayer. The Bible says that Peter and John were going at 3 in the afternoon to the temple to pray. Now, this is something that was part of the Jewish routine. They would go to the temple three times a day, once at 9 in the morning, then at 12 in the afternoon, then at 3 p.m. And so this is something that Peter and John had done a thousand times before, going to the temple to pray. And then in verse 2, we read that there was a lame man who was carried to the temple gate where he was put every day in order to beg at the entrance. Now, that's a strategic spot where he was put because it's the entrance of the temple. And if anybody wanted to look holy, if anybody wanted to look righteous, they were obliged to give to a beggar while everybody was looking. But we know that this man, later in chapter 4 in Acts, we read that he was over 40 years old. And so he, too, was doing something that was just part of his routine, going to the temple gate where he had been put day after day after day, expecting the same outcome. Surely, perhaps, Peter and John would have even passed by him before. But here's where the game changes. The Bible says that when the man calls out to Peter and John, that they stop and they look straight at him. And here's where we find the first kind of attribute that God is looking in godly leadership. A leadership that is willing to be interrupted. You see, because in the midst of everyday routine, passing by a place they had been a thousand times before, on their way to a previously determined appointment, Peter and John are willing to be interrupted by something God was wanting to do. You see, oftentimes we're not willing to be interrupted. 
Our minds are set on something. Our plans are made. Our schedules are fixed. We've prayed our prayers and we've defined the answer to our prayers that we're looking for. So much that we limit God in what he can do in and through us. We're prepared for God to act in church. We're prepared to hear God's voice in church in this well-controlled environment where, okay, I'm praising God. Okay, God, now you can speak. Now you can speak into my life. Now you can comfort me. Now you can heal me. But what about when God wants to work in you in the middle of your Tuesday? What about when you're in a work meeting and God wants to work through you? What about when you're in a conversation with a family member and it's getting heated? No, that's not the time for God to intervene because you're busy. What about when God wants to work through you when you're not expecting it? Are we willing to interrupt our own plans to let God move? What about when God wants to use you to represent his love in the midst of your everyday routine? Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Godly leadership dances to God's rhythm, not our own. Have you ever been on a dance floor where you are, this usually happens at weddings, it most definitely happened at our, our wedding, where you're just enjoying this jam, you're enjoying this kind of music, this kind of style of music, and all of a sudden, without any kind of warning, the DJ just changes the style of music. This happened at our wedding because we chose two people, and I was very clear, we had gone through the playlist, and I said, okay, you guys are in charge of the playlist, nobody else can come near this computer, and like five minutes into it, it was a free-for-all. Anybody could just go to the computer. And so you would go from like 80s to hip-hop to Brazilian funk to whatever it was. But the sign of a good dancer is one that adapts, is one that quickly changes his step and adapts to the rhythm. Usually if you're white, this doesn't happen. Sorry, but I'm included in that. <laughs> but it's one that that adapts to the rhythm of the song, and that's a sign of a good leadership, one that can see what God is doing and adapts to the plans that God is leading us into, not fixed on our own schedules, but being directed by God because it is he who ordains our steps. Jesus was constantly interrupted. The Bible says that one day he's walking and this man named Jairus, he comes up to Jesus and he says, you have to help me. You have to help my daughter. She's sick. She's dying. You have to come. And so Jesus agrees with this man that he will go to his house and he will go and help his daughter. He has made this plan. And on his way, there are crowds all around him, as there usually were. And the Bible says that this woman was bleeding for 12 years. And she sees Jesus on his way to somewhere she didn't know. But she thinks in her mind, if only I can touch the edge of his cloak, then I will be healed. And so she does. She reaches out and she touches the edge of Jesus' cloak. And even though he's on the way to something, even though he will be interrupted, he makes room for that interruption and he asks, who has touched me? And in that moment as he makes room for interruption, he speaks to that woman. He heals her. And he makes room for God to demonstrate his love and his power for this woman. Godly leadership is called to interruption. And then the story goes on. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. So Peter and John, they don't just walk by this man. 
They don't avoid his calling. When he calls, they don't look the other way. They don't change the side of the road they're walking on. No, instead they look straight at him. Now can you imagine the beggar's reaction? Maybe a little surprised that they stopped, but certainly very surprised that they would look straight at him. For years he had been begging at the temple great, and for years he had seen people walk by, perhaps dropping a few coins, but never looking at him, never seeing him in the eyes, never seeing him for more than a beggar. As godly leaders, we are called to be intentional in the way that we relate to others. The Bible tells us that every man, woman, and child is created by God in the likeness of God, and thus everyone has an intrinsic value. People are more than the problems that they appear to have. Krish Kandia says that godly leaders are called to see treasure where others only see trouble. However messy the situation, However deep-rooted the problem, however long the suffering, however big the reputation, godly leaders are called to see people for who they are and who they can become. Jesus sees our sin more clearly than anyone else, and yet he still loves us more than anyone else. He sees beyond our sin. He sees beyond our trouble. He sees treasure in every single one of us. He sees value and worth. Yes, he sees our pain, he sees our struggles, and yet he sees our beauty and what we can become in him. When Jesus picked his 12 disciples right from the beginning, he starts showing us the kind of leadership, intentional and relational, the kind of leadership that he's looking for. And so he chooses 12 of the most improbable men to be leaders with him. Fishermen, tax collectors, Professions that nobody would look up to. Statuses that people would just probably walk by the disciples, not thinking anything of them. But Jesus said, here's a man that can lead my church. Here's a man that can influence others. Here's a man that can represent me. He saw incredible gifts and attributes where others would probably walk right by them. And now Peter stood at the temple gate, looking straight at this man. What a flashback of a moment where someone looked in his eyes and completely transformed his life. In John chapter 1, verse 42, we read, Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and saw that he could do abundantly more in his life. There are people all around you calling for your attention. And the truth is that their issues often make us uncomfortable. People's problems make us uncomfortable so much that when they walk in the room, we walk out. When they look at us, we look the other way. When they call us, we put our phones on silent. We avoid everything we can to avoid their presence because their issues make us uncomfortable and yet there is something powerful in this story when Peter and John not only look straight at this man but they ask him look at me there is something powerful about eye contact now it's about to get really uncomfortable in here and awkward I promise I won't prolong it for too long but look at the person on your right no sorry uh, that doesn't work <laughs> look at the person next to you <laughs> 
Don't look at their clothes. Don't look at their hair. For two seconds, look them straight in the eye. Okay, you can stop. Ruben was like, don't do that. It's going to be so uncomfortable. But that's the point. Because there's something intimate about eye contact. There's something intimate and powerful about looking someone in the eyes because all of a sudden you're not looking at their clothes. You're not looking at their status. You're not looking at if they're your boss or if they work for you. You're not, working, you're not looking at if they're the mayor of your street or if they clean your house. You are looking them in their eyes and you're confronted with their intrinsic value. And so Peter and John, they look at this beggar and they say, look back at me. Look me in the eyes because God sees treasure where others only see trouble. Let's watch this video quickly. You drive up. You feel uncomfortable. Avoid eye contact. Don't look at him. Wait for an eternity for the light to change. Would it make a difference if you knew he wouldn't buy alcohol? Would it make a difference if you knew he was suffering from a debilitating mental illness? Would it make a difference if you knew he wanted a job? Look at him. Look into his eyes. In this short moment, are you brave enough? I'm sure you can relate to that. I'm sure that's happened in some point of your life, and not just with a beggar, but with somebody at work, somebody who wants to start a conversation that you're just not interested in, somebody in your family that is calling out for your help, but you just don't have time. This happens to us time and time again, and as this video continues, we just cut it there, but as it continues, this man drives off. And how many times do we do that? You see, Christian godly leadership is not only called to interruption, but we are called to be intentional in the way that we relate to others. We are called to see others beyond the problems they appear to have. We are called to see others beyond the judgments that we make about their appearance or their current circumstance. And godly leadership is called to transformation. Verse 5 says, So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. That day, the man was once again at the gate of the temple begging for coins. Being healed was not even in his wildest imagination. This man, the Bible says, was lame from birth, and so he didn't even know what it was like to walk. As he looks at Peter and John, his expectation was that they would support him in his current condition. And yet God had something greater in mind. God was interested in meeting his need, not necessarily his request. You see, so often the requests that we make to God minimize who he is. 
They completely underestimate his power. They underestimate how glorious, how majestic he is. Our requests pale in comparison to what God wants to do in our lives. And so godly leaders are not called to simply meet the expectations of others or attend to requests or simply to comfort people in their pain. I feel that sometimes in our churches, in our schools, companies, our leaders are just going from one meeting to the next, signing papers and saying all the right things that people want to hear and doing all the right things that others will judge to be right. And yet godly leadership is called for so much more than that. Godly leadership is called to transform the present normal into a new normal. Godly leadership is called to make the impossible happen by the power of Jesus Christ. We are called to challenge people's boxed understanding of who God is by seeing the miraculous come to life, by demonstrating his immense power in love, seeing that he can do immeasurably more than what we ask for. In John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Godly leaders are not afraid to ask for the unimaginable. Godly leaders are not afraid to ask for things that we can't even fathom, for things that we really don't believe could happen because we know who we are asking from. Jesus himself says, ask me anything in my name that the Father may be glorified and I will give it to you. Godly leaders are not afraid to ask for healing when someone's only asking for coins. Peter was offering healing to that man that day. Because it's what he had. And here's the thing about being transformational leaders. We can only offer transformational power if that is what's within us. Peter was offering transformational power because he himself was being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible tells us, especially leaders, you who have influence over others, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so Peter says, listen, I don't have any coins, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. What if in our work, we would overflow with wisdom because that's what we're getting from the word of God? What if with our families, we would overflow with patience and with kindness and with love because that is what we are receiving from the Father? What if we could overflow with impossible kinds of dreams because that's what we have experienced in our own lives? With the Lisbon Project, we keep going from glory to glory because we dream for the impossible. That's what our shirts say. It's only impossible until it happens because we've experienced God do something out of nothing. We've experienced it as an organization. We've experienced it as a church. We've experienced it in our own lives. When we had nothing, God did something. And so it's out of that overflow, out of what we read in Scripture of Jesus doing for the least. What Jesus did in Scripture wasn't just limited to a time. It wasn't limited to a region. He says, ask anything in my name and I will do it. And if we believe in the power of the Holy Scriptures, then we have to apply it to our lives. If Jesus says he can do it, he can do it. 
If Jesus says he cares, then he cares. If Jesus says he loves, then he loves. So we got to ask him for transformation. We have to ask him for healing when others are only asking for coins. And so Peter helps the man to his feet, and the man walks for the first time in his life. He's completely radiant with joy, praising God for his miracles. Miracle. His life is absolutely transformed from one moment to the next, and I can only imagine as this man jumps for joy, dropping all the coins that he had gathered that day because all of a sudden those coins have lost their value as he got what he needed more than what he asked for. Oftentimes the things that we see as our only means of survival, as our only solution, we cry before God because if only I get this job, if only I could meet my husband now, if only I could have a child now. If only I could have a bigger house now. If only this, if only that, then I would be happy. And yet God is saying, that is nothing compared to what I want to do in your life. I have a better timing. I have better plans. I have better things in store for you. And not only in store for you, but when I give you those blessings, you will be a blessing to those around you as you exert influence on the people surrounding you, as you represent Jesus Christ himself. Acts 4, chapter 4 says, But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believe grew to about 5,000. I think the, the most incredible thing of this story is not just that that man was healed, but because Peter and John were willing to be interrupted and because they were willing to be relational and intentional with this man and because they believed that God could do something transformational in his life, people were amazed. The Bible says people were amazed and they wondered at what had happened to this man as they recognized that this was the beggar sitting at the temple gate for years. And so a crowd begins to assemble and Peter starts overflowing with what is within him. He starts preaching the word of God. And their number grew to about 5,000. People saw transformation. They saw relationship. They saw Peter and John making time for this man, and they were impacted. Godly leadership is called to be transformational. And so I talk about this as I come to a close, because as Christians, we are called to be a representation of Jesus himself. Jesus, who was constantly interrupted. Jesus, who is relational, he sees more than what we appear to be. And Jesus who wants to transform our lives. This is the kind of leadership that we want to have. This is the kind of leadership that we want to be in this church. And today we're talking about ministry day. And we're, we're going to present to you the ministry leaders. And we're going to appoint elders. Because we have seen in these people a representation of Jesus. We have seen in these people a dedication to be interrupted, a dedication to follow Jesus, follow God when he wants to do something beyond our routine, beyond our plans. We have seen in these people a dedication to relationship. We have seen in them a dedication to see the impossible happen because they believe God who is bigger than any box we can put him into. So I'm going to call Reuben up and we're going to continue in and show you and, and present to you the ministry and the life groups and the elders. And Reuben will speak a little bit more about that. 
But I pray that this message will, will impact you as you go about your Monday and your Tuesday, remembering that you have influence, that that is not something you turn on and off, but that these things apply to you. This is the kind of leadership God is looking in you, that you might be a light, that others may see the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you lead, the way that you serve, and that they may be drawn to Jesus Christ himself. Amen. We hope that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.